Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we continue our countdown of our top 10 Division I men's college tennis teams entering what promises to be an exciting 2023 season, of course, for you listeners who have been with us from the start. We have officially reached the halfway point in our preseason top 10. If you missed any of our coverage of Team 6 through 10 in our preseason rankings, all you got to do is scroll down on your Great Shot podcast feed. A bonus piece of good news when you do scroll down on that feed is you'll get to see our previews of teams ranked 5 through 10 in our Division One women's college tennis preseason poll, as well as we know it's our job here at Cracked Rackets to prepare all of you college tennis fans for another exciting season, of course. That means on today's show, we get to the number five team in our preseason Division One men's poll. That team, a semifinalist at the 2022 NCAA tournament, finalists at the 2022 National indoors as well. Of course, I'm alluding to the University of Tennessee, who will be the subject of today's show. And if we're previewing another Division I men's college tennis team, if we're talking anything SEC tennis, you know who's going to be joining me on the show to help me do just that. Of course, you know him best as the forefather of the college tennis ranks formula predictions. Never far from the listed UTR, one of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames. And now, not just the professor, but the lean, mean, vegan machine. It's our dear friend, Chris Halioris. Chris, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. I regret to inform you, even if you remove the vegan diet, you will now be the lean, mean, vegan machine moving forward. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's it then. I just, there's the, it's, it's no meat from now on. <laughs> I'll tell no. you this. I think Mrs. H will appreciate that. I think she'll say thank you, Alex, for sticking with this name, forcing him to be disciplined and live up to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. She, she'll definitely appreciate that yeah. because that means she gets to have me keep cooking for her. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let me just ask you this. What's the most difficult part about the vegan diet? Is it sticking to the diet itself or is it finding what you can and can't eat and actually negotiating all the rules? Oh, no, that's a that that's the easiest question I've ever had to answer because look, I'm going to eat whatever you put in front of me. It doesn't <laughs> matter what it is. If you put food now, the problem is I'm now making it, so it's more than just putting it in front of me. But yeah, I don't mind the, the food in the least it actually is and it's and what I'm you know the, the what I'm doing is much much more than vegan because the worst part is it's vegan and no oil very limited uh nuts so uh the oils is a killer because you can go vegan no problem but everything that you want to buy that's vegan has olive oil whatever anything in it but yes that is that's the worst part is all the research to finding something you can actually eat, looking at labels on everything. And until you kind of get into the routine of that and knowing what you can, that's far worse than like, I'm fine with the food. It's the, it's the time it takes. And the fact that now I can't go out and eat, which is actually good <laughs> in the pocketbook, but you know, it's uh 
It's great it's for really, our USC Stanford bet. I'll tell you what, because yeah, we're not good. We're not good. Really, really cheap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You you look through the list of Louisville restaurants. Not a lot of vegan options over yeah. in in the Lou. So, uh, no, that's good. By the way, this was all a setup to ask because you sent me a photo of something you were cooking the other day, and uh, you asked me what do you think this is, and I said the most depressing looking pancake I've ever seen, or like the <laughs> you know the the outskirts of like uh, actually did if it was an omelet i didn't think it looked bad but it just wasn't thick enough for it to be an omelet and you go no this is leftover vegetable curry um can i tweet out a photo of what it looks like to the oh, last yeah absolutely it was a quote-unquote korean pancake all the veggies and korean pancake mix you know <laughs> yeah that's that it looked as appetizing as it sounds folks but a yeah, leftover yeah. veggie korean pancake whatever whatever's about to go bad you throw it all together and uh, in the pancake mix and it kind of looks like the poor man's omelet but a really bad version of it you got it yeah it was uh aesthetically you know, it's it's rare when the worst looking part of a Chris Hallior's photo isn't his face. And like, I thought I was looking at Margot Robbie with how bad that pancake looked. I was like, "Damn, Chris, you're looking you're looking sexy over there." Uh, by comparison to this Korean leftover pancake, but I want to tweet that out. And any of our listeners, if you're vegan, if you have recommendations for Chris, can we fire that out there as well? Absolutely, to send but it has right? to be no oils, zero oil. I feel like, all right, let me ask you this. Of every Division One coach, here's our tangent. Here's the sort of segments we used to do back in the day, Jay. So Ooh. this is for you. Of every coach in college, you have to pick one of them who you'd guess is a vegan. I think I know who you're going to pick, who you picking, and why. Don't somebody, get us in trouble. No, somebody that's a vegan. You want my answer first? Yeah, let me have your answer. I think you know who I'm thinking, right? It's got to be Bruce Burke. Like, Bruce is the man who's just in, he just has his things together. And he's like, I'm going to be healthy. I'm going to be fit. I'm going to stick to this vegan routine and it's going to work. And I'm not going to have to worry about the stresses of life interfering with my diet because I've got it down. I just feel like Bruce is the guy who's disciplined enough to pull it off. I, w- I think he could. He looks very fit, like yeah. he could. Yeah, he's the thin. That's is, a, he's so thin. Freaking- He's in freaking Texas. This is a good point. Like, no, no. No, he's eating the oils. The oils have not been foregone, but he definitely may have gone a bit. uh, Yeah, that's a very good point. Shoot. Of all the guys I'm thinking, even though I'm, I'm, you know, like, I know he's not, but the guy that I think I'm closest to, I'm going Coach Macy. Ooh. Ooh. You got to have a left coaster. For sure. No, that's so it's or, Quinta. It's Chris Quinta. Quinta. That's man of the say. hour, too slick to be sour. Like, oh, it's for Quinta. Yeah, I mean, Quinta's never met an acai bowl. He's not going to eat. Like, if yeah, you were to exactly. if, you were, if you were to just say what's his spirit animal, I would say acai. Like, that's for <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Good yeah, call by you. I think one of those two. Yeah. yeah. Very good call by you. The real funny one would be like, like Clancy Shields. Sneaky. I thought you were going to tell me. Yeah. <laughs> Cut that name. I'm quacking that out because uh, no one's hearing that. That was a good one. Though. That was really funny, Chris. But uh, yeah, we're quacking that out. That name doesn't get a uh, that's yeah quack out, please, Super Producer Danny Westoff. And make sure it's a strong quack, not one of those quacks where you can kind of hear through it. Anyways, that's really funny though, Chris. A great shot by you, Bravo. All right, with all of that. Said, <laughs> <laughs> it's hot. 
like, like negative percent chance. Yeah. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> I got him. I got Groskin. He can't even go. You haven't broken me in a while. That's good. <laughs> All right. Okay, focus. We're ready to get back in. We're at number five in our preseason rankings. And of course, the number five team is the University of Tennessee. As always, what we want to do, recap their 2022 season, look at their roster and Boy, is it a fascinating roster for the Volunteers. We'll talk about the strengths, the weaknesses, the schedule, why they aren't ranked higher, what our predictions are for them moving forward. And, you know, it's fascinating. I just want to mention that predictions part because Jay and I had this conversation yesterday. But I think if you were to offer me, Jay, and Chris the option of not doing that predictions part of the podcast anymore, we would be happy with that because I want to reiterate this at the start as we do every week. From here on in, it's tier one. All of these teams, if things break right, they will win a national championship in 2023, whether it be at the indoors, whether it be at the NCAAs, all the teams remaining have all the adequate components, all the continuity, the talent, all the thing, the culture, the things you're looking for in national champions. And I think number five, Tennessee is no, uh, is no exemption to that description. And certainly when you look at their 2022 season, they were in the hunt for every big event on their schedule. You look for Tennessee. It's fascinating because they went 26 and eight overall, but that undersells just how good this team was throughout the course of the 2022 season. Of course, it started with the national indoors, this team reaching the finals of that national indoor event play. A fantastic match against South Carolina in the quarterfinals was a sneaky close match between them and the Gamecocks, but ultimately they get through, of course, 4-2. Then maybe the most heated match I saw all season long, and you know we always like to do the running bit, what's the best rivalry in college tennis? Well, those that know, know that the best rivalry in college tennis right now is Tennessee versus Baylor. And obviously that national indoor semifinal rematch was a rematch of the NCAA semifinals from the year prior. Baylor got them at the 2021 NCAAs. It was the Volunteers knocking off Baylor at the indoors 4-2 win there, of course. Ultimately, they did fall a bit short. 4-1 loss in that national indoor final to TCU, but still, this is a Tennessee team that made, I think, back-to-back national indoor finals back in 2010. Back in It was either 10-11 or not. I think it was 10-11 because I think it was the Sandgren, Ryan Williams teams that lost to Virginia a couple of years consecutively. Um, or no, was it 0-9-10? It might have been 9-10 and not 11 because 11 might have been Ohio State. Who did, who did Virginia beat in that final? You know what? No, no, no. It was because Ryan Williams, Jameer Jenkins passes him down the line on the forehand to win the doubles point, and that's really what separated them. Yeah, I think the Tennessee match was the final. Shout out to the brain. It's still working here, Chris. But the point is to get back to a national final for the first time in over a decade can't overstate what that, or understate, excuse me, what that means to a program. Of course, again, you look at this team. Now, the case for them having a disappointing year is that they did not win the SEC title. They ultimately go eight and four 
in conference play. You look for them at the SEC championships. They were knocked out in the semifinals 4-1 by Florida. But of course, that's where it's worth remembering that there was a stretch, what was it, a month, six weeks where they were without one of their big dogs. Johannes Monday, who was one of the five best players through the first two months of the season, missed a lot of time with injury as such. Tennessee took a really rough, you know, three straight losses and a really rough stretch. They didn't have Monday when they needed him most. South Carolina at home, that match against Florida, that match against Georgia, which they played all three consecutively. They lost all three of those matches consecutively. That said, team finds its form come the end of the season. Wins over Tennessee Tech. Duke to get to the round of 16. A really good win over a frisky Florida State team in the round of 16. And then, you know, the win... And maybe the match we all remember most from the NCAA tournament, a match we will forever know as Shirtless Gate, where Tennessee knocks off Baylor 4-3. James McKay takes off the shirt in celebration, and anarchy ensues from there is the kind way to say it. That said, again, Tennessee national semifinals back-to-back year. They make the national indoor finals last year. Certainly was a disappointing loss to Virginia with the way Virginia beat them down in that NCAA semifinal. But still, national indoor final, Chris, NCAA semifinal. Yes, they had a talented roster, but I think this was the expectations for this team entering last year, that they would be competitive at all the big events. And I know they were titleless, but they were in the hunt everywhere. I think this team got things just right in 2022. Where are you on that? Yeah, in the end, I'd say just right. Uh, Going into the year, I think, you know, there was a lot of speculation and it took a while to figure out and by a while, I mean, a long time, basically never really declared. We just sort of never saw him, but we, you know, the, the, the question was Blaze Bicknell going to be eligible or not in the end, never eligible, but it took a long time to really find that out. Uh, right. And, and I think with him, the hopes were definitely re, you know, probably the favorite to win a national title without him. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think they got it right. Yes. They would have liked to win a few more matches during the regular season, but as you alluded to, primarily when, when you're down Johannes Monday and and you're playing, you know, a bunch of guys in there, you know, Connor Gannon in action. I mean, a lot of, you know, a, a rotating cast at six. Uh, yeah, they struggled a little. But as you mentioned, he comes back. They find their form. They make a good run uh, and make it all the way to the semifinals. It's hard to say losing in the semifinals at the NCAAs to the eventual champion uh, is a disappointing year. I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe if you're the guys on the team and that was your goal, okay, like Walt, maybe, right? He's gone. That was his last shot. He didn't get it. He might be disappointed they didn't they that they didn't. But uh, for the most part, I'd say, yeah, it, it was it was about right. Yeah, I I agree with you. I, I mean, I think you said it perfectly. I think there's absolutely a world where you play that 2021 season, 2022 season, excuse me, a hundred times. There's no doubt Tennessee walks away with a national title in one of those 100 simulations of the 2022 season. And there's also no denying that this team had the talent to win the national championship. Certainly had Blaze Bicknell been a part of the equation. You look for this Tennessee team that overall on the year took 12 losses at the number six singles position, went 15 and 12 at number six. Somehow this team ends up a guy short and like with all the talent that they had, you know, they weren't a guy short. 
Blaze Bicknell was right there, sitting on the roster. Had he been eligible, certainly that's why this team maybe feels like we left a little bit on the table in 2022. But, like, they made the National Indoor Finals. They beat Baylor twice in two significant matches. They, you know... I, th- I think you have to throw out the SEC season because they were without Johannes Monday for that biggest stretch on the calendar. Certainly wasn't healthy uh, till the end of the year. But you make the national, you make the semifinals or further at both the indoors and the fi- and the NCAA's. Unless you know, or I should say, especially in the COVID era, when because in a normal year, right, 2022 Tennessee's roster should win a national championship. But in the COVID era, when you've got you know, that Florida team, they lost in the quarterfinals, right? Or you've got, you know, the TCU national indoor champion, number one seed come the NCAA tournament. They lose in the NCAA quarterfinals. You know, Tennessee always found themselves at the final site and always got a win at those final sites. And that's really difficult to do. So, you know, I, I don't think you can say it was a disappointing season by any stretch of the imagination. I also, though, don't think you can say they exceeded expectations because when you bring back a team that made the NCAA semifinals the year prior, a team that had the entire nucleus back in, you know, Adam Walton, Johannes Monday, and, you know, Harper in doubles, you bring back the, you know, in uh, Harper in Harper and Walton, excuse me, in doubles. You bring in players like Shinsuke Mitsui, he's a top 15 junior in the world. Emil Hud, a proven commodity at Oklahoma State during his first few years in college tennis. It was a core we knew a bunch about, and this core delivered tournament in, tournament out. They were always in the conversation, and I think that's where this core finds itself once again this season because as many faces as they brought back last year, As devastating as it is to lose an Adam Walton, who, let's be clear, 17 and 6 at the number one singles position last year. And to some extent, by the way, 17 and 6 at the number one singles position, it's also worth pointing out he played the number one doubles position where he and Harper, 11 and 6 there. They went 17 and 7 overall in dual match play on the year because they played a little two as well. I mean, there's no doubt you miss an Adam Walton. Adam Walton's the beating heart of that program. Adam Walton may not be the spirit because they get some noise perhaps from some other people, but just his tenacity, that fight, that fact that every member of the Tennessee roster knows. Yeah, Walton may have lost a horrible first set to whomever he was playing, but we know he's going three. We know that we have at least two and a half hours before we have to worry about anything happening with Adam Walton because it's going to take an opponent at least two and a half hours to beat him, and that gives me plenty of time to get my together here on this court. Yes, that's a massive loss, but when you bring back Monday, Chris, when you bring back HUD, when you bring back Mitsui, when hopefully you have a healthy Martin Prada, you bring back an Angel Diaz who quietly was very streaky but very essential to this Tennessee team last season. I know he went 12-12 and overall in dual match play, but again, name a big match. Usually Angel Diaz was involved in some facsimile of it. The entire core's back. So when you look at this core, again, you probably feel better on campus about Tennessee, right? If you're part of that Tennessee program, don't you feel better about the team heading into 23 than you even did in 22? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say that because because Adam Walton's. Just, I mean, he's been the heart of that team for so That's long. That's the but- guy. And can we just can we pour one out collectively? 
you and I are going to miss Adam Walton. Like, that's oh. our guy. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's, it's like, it feels, it's a weird feeling to say that because, yeah, Walton was, I mean, he was sort of the face of Tennessee tennis, right, for the last couple of years. And so, to, but, and, and it, it almost feels, you know, I think what you said is accurate, but it almost feels disrespectful to Adam. But, um, you know, but on the other hand, yeah, would would you would you go and say yes? I will trade. You know, I'll trade Waltz for what we've got. You know, what we're able to 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 bring in and and, and another year under the belt for some of these guys. You know, a year older Mitsui. I mean, yeah, I I actually I think you're right in that. Yes, it's going to be a huge miss, both singles and doubles, and as far as the team goes. But yeah, I don't I don't think you're looking at it like. Oh, we 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 dropped for sure. That, that's that's not the case with this team. Yeah, and I don't remember if I was having this conversation. I think this was a part of our conversation yesterday with Jay and talking about Oklahoma, the drop off between Lane Sleeth at one and whoever is going to play number two. Now Walton was obviously the number one singles player last year. Again, really hard to duplicate a seventeen and six season out of anyone at that number one spot, but. I think every person in the country would agree that Tennessee does have someone to, you never replace, but to do the best impression of Adam Walton from a results standpoint that they can do in Johannes Monday. And I think that's where we should start our conversation on these returners, right? Because you look for Johannes Monday, currently 554 in the ATP rankings. That has to be one of the 10 highest rankings in college tennis right now, Chris. And, you know, you look for Monday, who was able to win a couple of futures events over the course of the summer, played a ton of matches between the end of May and the start here, 19-6 and six on the pro circuit. Not too shabby. One of his losses, by the way, Chris, to Adam Alt. 3-2, 15K, Waco, Texas, semifinals. You have to imagine Michael Woodson was thrilled to watch a Walton versus Monday match on the courts at Waco. That said, 6-5, lefty. Like, can you draw me a better number one singles player in principle than Johannes Monday, a guy who's been playing the number two spot for two years now and had a ton of success doing it? He's ready to go number one. And I think you feel uh, you going into any match, you're not going to say we think Joe's going to lose this match, right? Like, sure, there'll be some toss-ups because there are a lot of really good players in the country, but, man, I feel pretty good about Joe going into every match that I play. Yeah, no, absolutely. I What, what did you say, top five? Top, I said top 10 pro ranking in college tennis. It's top probably 10, higher. Yeah. Yeah, top yeah, top ten probably. But you know the sick that that's one of the six stats, I think. I, I don't I wish we had tracked this over time. Yeah. As First of all, this he, is a you job. Like with all due yeah, respect, yeah, he's, who's he's good with the fifty four and by my count, and this is just this is a quick scan, I've got him at eight. Eight. Uh, really? It's hard to imagine there's eight guys in front of him, right? Yeah. I mean it, it honestly is, but I got Aini one, Quinn two, Fairy three. Uh, Inyaki four. Oh, I think I missed even Murphy in there. So Murph, uh, it might be nine. Murphy five. Toby Samuel six. Draxel seven. Kingsley eight. Johannes nine. Wow. So at five fifty four, he's ninth of ex- uh, on roster current college players. Would have been ten had Diallo not gone. Right. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, hard to believe that low. But yeah, five fifty four. He's still still playing college. There's no doubt 
he's a, the a legit solid one uh and will will battle anybody in college yeah and look we all heard the rumblings that joe you know was considering turning pro in the off season i need to personally apologize if he's listening to joe we were supposed to have him on the podcast a million times this summer and just our schedules never lined up properly partially because he was killing it on the pro circuit and who am i to say hey take this Friday and talk to me. Like, no, come on. He's doing his thing. He's killing it. Ninth highest ranked guy in college tennis, but hopefully we will have him on the show sometime soon. Why would he come back? Because they've got a hell of a roster behind him, right? There's, you're not just coming back as a placeholder because you're not ready to turn pro. You're coming back for a legitimate purpose, and that legitimate purpose is to win a national title, which this Tennessee team has been on the precipice of doing now for the past two seasons. And, yeah, again, on paper, six foot five, six foot six, lefty. By the way, we both said Johannes the first two years. It's Johannes. It's yeah, a hard yeah. J. Yeah, like it's an instinct, but let's be clear. That's what I actually wanted to apologize to him for. We know it's Joe. It slips out from time to time. He's not South African, right? Yeah, it's not Johannes <laughs> Tuesday. It's Johannes Monday. Like, let's be very clear here. Um, that's your number one singles player. Outside of that, I mean, again, I said it the moment I saw him at the Knoxville showdown in the fall. You mocked me. Stokowiak mocked me. I'm taking a victory lap on Shinsuke Matsui because I said, I said, this kid not only has the talent, but he has the energy that epitomizes everything college tennis is about. And Chris, Shinsuke Matsui, freshman season, 24-4 and overall. Now, there were other freshmen. Murphy Cassone would like, a, uh, you know, was the hottest thing since sliced bread at one point during the summer. He would like a, 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 a peek into this conversation. But find me a more impactful freshman during the 2022 season than Shinsuke Mitsui. You'd be hard-pressed to do so. Of course, Mitsui also had himself a really good pro summer, not just in the you know singles department where he's now number 681, made a couple of futures final, won a future in in Ithaca, good wins over Braden Schick and Melios Estafalu on his way to that title, but ton of doubles success as well. And, you know, he and Emil Hud were a top 10 doubles team for the majority of last season. You know, it's fascinating because, I mean, we'll get into the lineup, but like, I think Mitsui's ready to make another leap, Chris. I think he's ready to play in a top two singles position. I think he has the athleticism. He has the game. He's not the biggest guy, but his ability to use his speed to take that ball early on the rise, beat you to the net, he plays on his terms. And like, if if ten, why was Tennessee so good last season? It's because Mitsui was so impactful right away. Yeah, I, you're right on all counts. I mean, for, absolutely. And he is, I mean, he's, you say ready for the jump only because uh, look everything he's done between the end of last year and now he's already shown that he's kind of he's kind of made a jump. He's definitely going to come in. Yeah, top, I mean, top two. Def, he he could very well. There's going to be some interesting decisions. We know we know Joe Mo's playing one. Uh, I mean, there's no no question. A, a healthy Joe ah, Mo one. Uh, Ken yeah, Hunter. Joe Mo plays <laughs> yeah. after that. Yeah, Mitsui could be the leading candidate for two. You've got a lot of possibilities on that roster. I mean, a lot. Um, but he may very well be the be- the guy best suited. Like you said, not the biggest guy in the world, not the guy with the biggest game in the world. But, yeah, he does everything so well. He's so fast. He gets to every ball. 
He's got more power than you think mm -hmm. by looking at his stature. And he's just a nightmare for anybody to face. I don't care if you're a grinder, you don't want to play. And if you're a power guy, you don't want to play. And you just don't want to see him on the other side of the net because you know there's there are no easy balls. It doesn't matter if you're a big hitter. You it's you still can't put him away. I mean, it, he just does everything so well. It's it's so tough to put him away. You know, I mean, you might not have a thought on this comp. It reminds me of watching Justine Annan, where it's just like this ball of athleticism, where it's just like I am more athletic than my opponent, and I'm going to show that throughout the course of you know two hours. And it's not going to look the same every point. But I'm just going to ultimately overwhelm you with the speed, with the tenacity. He's also an excellent shot maker as well. But you mentioned it, like, as good as Mitsui was, and let's just stick with the returners for now. You know, he played for the majority of last season behind Emil Hud, who, by the way, had a really good year in his first year in Knoxville. 13-5 and five at the number three spot, 21-8 and eight at Overall, he obviously wins that clinching match against Jake Van Enberg in the NCA. Uh, excuse me, in the National Indoor Semifinal. Uh, yeah, semifinal. No, no, no. He didn't win the match against Van Enberg. Did he win the match? No, they played Baylor. He beat. Um, who did he beat? Who who played three for Baylor? Uh, Sven Law. That's who it was. Sven Law down the home stretch gets him in straight sets ultimately to win that match. Sorry. Sven slash Jake Van Emberg, two guys who look a ton alike, right, Chris? So you can see why I, why I confused them. Um, no, um, yeah, uh, look, HUD is another option you have to jump into that number two spot. Certainly, you know, um, Angel Diaz, 12-12 and 12 overall. He's a grinder, another returner they bring back. But the big piece that I'm fascinated about by the returners and all due respect to Pat Harper, who you really hope is just healthy and able to play a full year, singles, doubles, whatever it is he's needed for the Volunteers this season. But maybe the returner I want to talk most about before we get into any of the newcomers, and I'm going to throw Blaze Bicknell into that newcomer list as well, Chris. What do you make of Martin Prada? Where are you with Prada moving forward? Because two years ago, you go back to the 2021 season, Prada went 25 and 14 overall in singles. He made the freaking NCAA tournament, right? Did Prada in that 2021 season. And like, you know, last year was so injured, was in a boot even at the start of the year. And like 11 and 15 overall in singles, six and four overall in doubles. We know that's not indicative of the level he's capable of playing. Do you see anything in the fall? Do you see anything overall from Prada that has you maybe more encouraged that he might be able to return to form? Because I don't think he played many, if any, fall matches for the Volunteers. Yeah, no. I mean, I haven't. I don't. He's a guy that he showed. He definitely showed potential. But I've, I've never been totally on the bandwagon here. And I think he's, I mean, you know, the, two, like you said, two years ago, I think they had gotten him up. I, he was, I don't recall, I, off the top of my head, I want to say he was playing three. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't, I won't swear to it. No, he was playing uh, three back in 2021. I'll swear to it. Yeah, okay. I, but I think he he's, he's a guy that I think is just really well suited to be a five, six guy. I mean, and, and I think honestly, I don't think Tennessee needs him to be more than that. What they need is to get a healthy Prada that can play to Prada's potential. And if he can do that, 
he'd be an outstanding five six if he's a if he's the Prada that's sort of like you know he's in and out and he can't he can't stay healthy or he, or, or he he can't stay healthy enough to even even practice well enough to be in that kind of form and that's the bigger issue it's not it's not what does he bring on game day it's what is he able to do in in training and in his practice leading up to it can he actually sustain a you know a full season of college tennis at a hundred percent health and if so yeah he's a he's a five six that you'll take anywhere at any time and i think they have plenty of guys to fill the spots above that that they i mean that would be outstanding for them i but i don't i don't really see a ceiling a lot higher than that uh for him right now i mean he played Again, if he plays anywhere close to that 2021 form and you feel like you have another top three, top four guy in your lineup, now there's just no doubt this Tennessee team will be in the final weekend of every national event that they played because outside of the core that they bring back, and again, shout out to any player we didn't mention on the Tennessee roster, Diaz, Harper, I know we didn't go into too much depth in, but man, did they bring in some new additions. And it's not just freshmen that we're talking about. They brought, they, you know, get to dip their toes back into the transfer portal. And I mean, again, not since Baylor 2021 have we seen a class of transfers with the potential to be as impactful as the group that Tennessee brings back to their roster now. And, you know, Blaze Bicknell's the big name, right? Because Blaze didn't lose a match back in 2021, was an essential piece for that Florida team, and you know went 56 and eight overall, uh, 56 and eight overall in his career. Excuse me, in singles, reached a career high of number 31 in the ITA singles rankings. And yet, I think you and I, the nerds that we are, would argue it's honestly Kent Hunter, the transfer from LSU, who might be the most impactful player that this Tennessee team brings onto their roster. Of course, Hunter, 63-16 and 16 career singles record, was ranked as high as number 94 in the ITA singles rankings, 53-15 and 15 in doubles, was ranked number 56 uh, during his time at LSU. You bring him over as a fifth year. You bring Boris Kozlov over from LSU as a fifth year as well. Tomas Rodriguez, for what it's worth, over from the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, but... I mean, Chris, right there, Hunter, Bicknell, and really we'll stick with Kozlov for now because I don't know as much about Rodriguez. That's on me more than anything else. But, like, if that's the three transfers you bring in, you could play any of them. And obviously, Hunter, Bicknell, you feel a little bit more confident and higher in the lineup than Boris. But, like, if I have to play any of those three guys throughout the course of the year— I have no concerns if I'm head coach Chris Woodruff or associate head coach James McKay or Ian Von Cott or any of these guys. Like, they just have experienced pieces everywhere. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't. That that might be a little bit of a stretch. I don't want to bring you down too much, but I'm a little concerned if you're playing Kozlov. <laughs> Great. Great guy you to know have on the Cracked rock. Rackets is a pro-Kozlov podcast. Stefan, Boris, Dad, yeah. we, we don't care. Yeah. We are pro-Kozlov. Here. Yeah, we're bringing, we're bringing Cosball to Knoxville for, <laughs> yeah. for Gruskin. But, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, he great guy to have there to, like, if someone's hurt, have to come fill in. But I don't think you feel great. I mean, he, he was a, kind of a five-ish guy, I think, I don't uh, for, for LSU last year. If you're wanting to be the national title contender, that that's you know you need you need the other guys to be stepping up. But yeah, I think to your point, 
Hunter is a little bit, you know, and not a lot of people know a lot about Kent Hunter, right? Cal to 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 LSU to to now Tennessee. Guys got all kinds of game. Look, we know, I, and I think part of what you said in 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 comparing the uh, maybe the anticipation and excitement levels related to both Blaze and Hunter are almost everybody knows. Bicknell, right? I mean, look, he went undefeated for Florida. They win a national championship. If you're off, if you're a college tennis fan, period, you know who he was. In addition, in addition to doing that, right, just everything that happened in the SEC, you know, final match with Florida that year with Tennessee when he was playing for Florida. I mean, all all, all of the above. You just know who Blaze Bicknell is. By the way, Prada clinched that match against Florida, right? In the SEC Championship in 2001. Yeah, yeah, correct. All those moons ago. Yeah, 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 exactly. After the whole... Bicknell and Wiedemann thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. But yes, it did come down to Prada who got it. Yeah. Uh, But, but you know, Hunter comes in. And I think that, you know, the interesting thing with Kent Hunter is a guy that's been, you know, wasn't always healthy. He's a guy that's got a ton of potential. You, you know, you look at you look at some of these guys that have moved around and played, and you go, well, what what kind of game do they have? This is not a guy that's a pusher that's capped out, if you will, right? He's got game. The kid can play. He's got all kinds of potential. Played, a, you know, basically a, a mix of two, three for LSU last year. Has the game absolutely if Tennessee desires to play him there, and it's going to be really interesting to see that lineup. He could be a top three guy. He could be the four or five guy. I mean, who knows where they're playing? I'll tell you one thing: he's if he's healthy, he's in the lineup. He's not the guy. The guy out. I don't care. I'm not. I'm. I'll pull up the UTRs. I'm not looking at him. I know he's not going to be right at the top. But this is a guy with game that that can absolutely be. And I will. I will not be surprised at all if he's in the top three in that lineup. Really well said, lefty too. And I just love multiple lefties in a lineup and you know they've got that in Monday in Hunter two guys who can get after the ball as lefties as well and just I mean again across the board you've got pieces everywhere and we'll get into the perspective singles lineup in a second but I do want to talk about the doubles component uh the double side of things because yes they lose Harper and Walton who were NCAA champions and a staple at the top of their lineup. Obviously, Hud and Mitsui last year had a top 10 ranking at one point, finished the season 27-11 overall, ranked number 21 in the country. When I look at all the pieces, though, that they have, Mitsui, Hud, Harper, you know, you bring in the Kent Hunter serve, his success in doubles. Bicknell's never been a big doubles guy, but with his serve, his size, you partner that with maybe a Prada or, you know, a a Kozlov or whatever it may be to put more returns in play. I also think it's worth noting that, you know, Tennessee has always prided themselves on their doubles, dating back to the Davy Sandgren days and obviously J.P. Smiths of the world and you know, all the way through Hunter to Harper Beats. and Walton. Yeah, exactly. Hunter Reese, Mikhail Labidis, who's on the way back. I definitely butchered that last name, but you all know who I'm talking about. They've always had pieces. Uh, you know, Ryan Williams, shout out to the former GOAT. Um, this is a team you give the benefit of the doubt to in doubles, right? Even beyond the singles depth, they have pieces. They have, shout out to the system at NC State. That's the system. Simon Earnshaw has patented that phrase, but... 
I feel pretty good about ten- Tennessee's system as well, not just from a principal standpoint, but they come out with energy. They come out with fire. This team has a culture to them where I don't know if there's a more disliked team. This might be harsh to say. Leave it in. If you're the opposing team, you f***ing hate Tennessee. Like, you hate everything about them. You want to punch Van Cott in the face. You want to punch Mackay in the face. You want to just smack all these guys around. But that's what they want. They want you to be so angry at them that you lose the slightest of focus for a second. And now HUD's hit a big serve out wide. Shinsuke Mitsui is just inside of your head. He's living there rent-free. Like... Walton was honestly the veneer that kind of made this team way more likable because you're yeah, like, yeah, he was too you... nice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're just like, likable. how can anyone dislike Adam Walton? But like, I kind of like that about this team too. Is dare I say, Chris, there's a f- you to them where they're like, we're not here to make friends. We're here to beat you. And at the highest level in a year where the margins are so thin, I love it. Like, I love that aspect of this Tennessee team. I'm I like to think when I played, if you were on my teammate, you would kill someone for me. You know, if you're on my team. If you played against me, you would hate me. Like despise everything I stood for until after the match when I come up and you're like, oh, okay, I get what this kid was doing now. It's all just an act. But like like I I I think this team likes being hated. I like not like hey, that's too strong of a word. They like having that edge and they have it. Yeah, well, that I mean, anything you can do to get in the head. Yeah, they're they're the uh, the equivalent of you know of Alabama football. Right? Yeah, <laughs> they don't sure. care. Don't care who you are. Nobody likes them. Uh, doesn't matter. Which is hilarious you say that because I love Alabama football. Because I'm like, if you can't respect that excellence, I don't know what to tell you. But carry on. But no, yeah, I mean, if you're not an Alabama fan, you hate them, and that's you know 95 percent of the people out there because you know other than the Alabama fans, but. But yeah, that's but but it's that same sort of thing. But yes, in in tennis, like you said, yeah, anything they can do to get in, and much more so, right? I mean, tennis is a, a much more individual mental game, right? You can't you can't get in the head of one guy in a football game or a baseball game that you know and really affect the game. You know, there's only six guys playing singles at a time. You get in one or two of those guys' heads, and uh, and yeah, and it doesn't take much. And and that's that's everything this Tennessee th- Tennessee team does. And you're right, they you know that it is sort of a us against the world. We don't really care what anybody else thinks, and you do. You have to respect that. You, I mean, it it is sort of it's very fun to watch. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Which, by the way, you talk about that us against the world. It translates to the coaches too. Like, <laughs> I love you, Chris Woodruff. I love you, James McKay. I I don't know Van Cott as well, so I can't say I love him. But the other two guys I've had the chance to speak with, and they're the kindest humans in the world. If you tell me someday one of the Tennessee coaches gets punched in the face by a, an opposing player, like, I wouldn't be shocked. Like, I wouldn't. Like, again, Chris, his energy, you feel that intensity. With Makai, his fist pump might be bigger and louder than anyone not named Mitsui on that roster, right? Like, it really is a top down effort where it's like, look, if you're going to be a Tennessee volunteer, it is us against the world. And you're either in or you're out. And when I look at this roster, And I guess we haven't done the projected lineups yet, but we'll get to that in a second. But when I look at this roster, what's the biggest strength I see amongst it? 
it's the experience, Chris, of a roster that has two, four, six, eight, ten names. Only one person is younger than their junior year of college. Only one. There's one sophomore on the lineup, and it's Shinsuke Mitsui, who I think neither of us have any doubts about. But, like, Bicknell's a fourth year. Diaz is a fourth year. Harper, Hud, Hunter, Kozlov, Prada, Rodriguez, graduate students. Monday's an extraordinarily experienced junior. This is a team that's been together, that rides together. Like, they just have it. Like, I, I've seen this team before, Chris, I, oh, with all the unknowns, and I know there are some transfers, but it's like, I know how all these pieces work, and they work, right? Like, that's the thing that's this team's biggest strength has to be its experience. Yeah, it's uh, it's a double-edged sword, right? The experience for sure is is the strength. They have they have all guys, you know, you're not you're not bringing in and counting. We've we've talked on countless episodes about always being a year too early on the teams that are freshman laden just because it takes these freshmen, especially the foreigners, a year to get into the college game. And that's, you know, you don't have that on this roster. You don't have the freshman coming in, coming in that you're saying, well, yeah, we got to, this guy's got to play, you know, no, no lower than four in the lineup or we're in trouble that you don't have it. You've got guys that have been in the game for, for at least two or three years all the way around. Now, you know, I'll just lead right into then your next question of, okay, then what's the biggest, biggest weakness. And I think for me, I don't even know that it's a weakness. It's the unknown for me is how you do have at the same time you have all the experience, you do have a Bicknell that spent some time around the program last year. Hunter and Kozlov coming in, you've got some guys that, you know, and HUD was only there for one year as a transfer from Oklahoma State. Uh, I mean, you got a lot of guys. How well are they gelling as a team? Because, I mean, let's be honest, when you get into these these conversations about like you said at the very top of the show any of these teams we're talking about can win the national title you know once we got to six seven whatever wherever we were they're all capable of winning the national title it's going to be very small things like can the whole team be healthy and informed and is the team a team i'll tell you one thing if you pick out a team and you say yeah they got a bunch of talent on paper but if they're a bunch of individuals and they're not really a team, they're out right there, right? They're not winning the national title. And so that that's the thing is, hey, are these guys, and I, you know, that will remain to be seen. Is it going to be a team effort? And then what can they do? The, I think the other unknown is doubles. Historically, we've talked about it. Historically, great doubles at Tennessee. They coach great doubles. They always have good players for doubles. Are these guys going to be a, you know, Go, you know, winning 60, 65, even, you know, high, you know, two thirds of your doubles matches is not acceptable at Tennessee. You need to be better than that. And if they are, along with what they've got in their singles lineup, they're going to be an, an outstanding elite level team that's going to challenge for a national title. Yeah, this team is really, really good. And absolutely, you do feel like this could be a situation where with the chemistry they have, the sum could be greater than the whole of the parts. And the parts are outstanding. So with that in line, let's get into it. Projected lineup this year. By the way, the other thing I would add, I mentioned how old this team is. This is the year. 
this isn't a Georgia, Texas situation where it's just like, this is, you know, we're not building for this year, like in the past where we said it's not this year for Texas, but they're a year away or Georgia where it's at times like if Quinn comes back and they bring in Mickelson and all the guys, then maybe they're a year away. It's now or never. Like this is an old team that's played together. I also think I love you, Joe. And well, I'll ask him this on the show. I don't think there's a chance in hell we see Johannes Monday playing for Tennessee come the 2024 NCAA season. Like, this is the window. This is the time for Coach McKay, for Coach Woodruff, for this entire roster. I don't know why I started with Coach McKay. I should have, again, that's just the order of operations. For Shirtless Magoo, for Coach Woodruff, and for the rest of this team, um, this is the window. This is the year. And with that in mind, let's get into the lineup then. What do you see it all shaking out as? I think we both agree Joe at one. You're throwing darts at a board after that, Chris. Where are you throwing them? Yeah, honestly, you are. I mean, you have to say, and you and I have had this debate, you know, off show, the odds on favorite for two has got to be Mitsui. I just don't like it. I don't want to play him that high. Just because I, I think you can... He, he becomes, I think at two, it's, he gets in a lot of battles. I think you get to play him a little lower, and he's like, just like he did last year, he's an absolute lock, and you can play him lower. Uh, but I do think that he he probably ends up being the two. If I had to guess right now, I'd say you throw him two, but my gosh, my, my dartboard is like Mitsui, Hunter, Bicknell, Hud. That group right there is two through five, and I have absolutely no idea what order you're playing them in. But that's the two through five to me. And then you have, you know, the the throw the darts for six. If we have a healthy product, but really, D, you're, you, is he going to supplant Diaz? I will take Angel Diaz with what he did did last year. I'll take him at six for mm. sure. Grinder at six, like mm, that would be a nice fit. You 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 feel great playing him at six, but at the same time, you're going. Do I get a do I get a healthy Prada and uh, you know? And I don't want to discount. Do I get a healthy Harper? I feel a lot less confident about that just because it's not you know it's been a multi year thing with Pat Harper, right? I think. In all honesty, I think the hopes is that he's good, good enough to play dubs. And if he's good enough to play dubs, he's a great doubles player, and you take it. I mean, super bonus if he's 100% healthy, and then he could play singles because now, in my mind, you got a three-man fight for six with Prada, Harper, and Diaz. I don't see that happening, but certainly the coaches would welcome it. Uh, I would say the odds are, so if you made me pick a day one lineup right now, I would probably say Jomo one, Mitsui two. Mm. Gosh, it's such a toss up after that. Like, I know where they played HUD last year, and I honestly want to put HUD at five. I want to say... Ah, Bicknell three hundred four could even be Hunter three. I like Hunter in the top three, but I'll, but I'll say maybe start Bicknell three, Hunter four, Hud five, and Diaz six, and then hopefully Prada's healthy. So my little brother and I, um, 
went we were up to like 2:30 last night. I told you this before the show, but just for our listeners cuz whenever I see my little brother, it's great to and by the way, this was going to be a surprise, but you're listening to minute 51 of the show, so you get this surprise Nicholas Gruskin going to be joining us at some point of this top 10 preview. I think many of you listeners can imagine which episode that's going to be, and it's going to be really fun and he goes, it was funny we were talking last and he goes, "Am I allowed to say my extreme takes about the team that we're going to be talking about with him on the show?" I was like, "Yeah, that's why you're here." Cuz I was like, "I need you to voice all the things I'm thinking, but I'm no longer allowed to say." Um, so if that doesn't give away what episode he's joining us for, folks, I don't know what else to tell you and I was like and trust me Chris will rein you in like you don't have to worry um but when I look at this team Chris one and this is crazy but one of Bicknell, Hud, Hunter or Mitsui is playing five singles like we talk about the MVP conversation all the time and we'll do that throughout the course of the year pencil in Tennessee's number five as in the MVP conversation because like, if it's Bicknell again, he'd go undefeated for second consecutive year in that dual match spot. If it's Hunter, are you kidding? If it's Mitsui, pack the bags, start the plane, <laughs> that man is undefeated. Like, yeah, it's yeah. just, like, laughable. And so, <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, so then, I guess, when you look at this team, what are the weaknesses? What are the concerns? I would have two, Chris. I would say, one, a Monday injury. Because as much as I love that two through five spot, moving that entire group you know, Monday is an unequivocal top five, top 10 guy, big lefty, indoors, outdoors. He serves well. I don't care who you're playing. There's just not a bad matchup for Joe Monday being a big lefty. He's the matchup breaker, not the matchup issue. He gets injured. That whole group moves up a spot. That would suck. Like for sure, there is a little bit of a drop off. Oh, I don't actually know if there is a little bit of a drop off between Monday and the rest of the group because the rest of that group is so good. But that would be concern number one. I guess concern number two is like there is an urgency, right? I mentioned the fact that this is the year for Tennessee. This is the year for Tennessee, Chris. Like it's now or never. And should things not click right away for this team or thing, there's a disappointing stretch or they just start to put a bunch of pressure on themselves for whatever reason, knowing what they're capable of, but knowing that this is the last hurrah. I mean, again, I'm really stretching for weaknesses here. You're saying, Alex, you think their projected number one singles player gets hurt. That's going to be a problem for them. Well, yeah, no shit. Like, that's an obvious thing is what everyone's thinking right now. But again, we've said it at the start of the show. Predictions are impossible at this point. I look at that two through five spot and being like, who's going to play where? Like, I have no clue. They're all really good. Like, again, they're going to have the luxury. Throw the dart at the board. Who's ever playing best, congrats. You're playing two today. You're playing second best. You're playing three. You're playing third best. You're at four. Sorry, my friend, who's playing five. But the good news is I'm guaranteeing you're going to win today, right? Like, it's a really good team. They have three guys duking it out for six as well. And it does feel like if there is an injury to the middle of the lineup or the end of the lineup, they have guys ready to fill that void. I don't know. Is the biggest concern that like all the other teams are really good too, Chris? Where are you with that part of the conversation? Yeah, I, I, I'm just really intrigued to see the kind of lineup they roll with. Because I, I mean, I, I gave my projected lineup, and my projected lineup is is really. For me, that's based off where they deserve to play, okay? I think that's where those guys deserve to play. Now, if you ask me, make the lineup that you think 
does the best that you can actually get away with. And we all know what I mean by that. You know, many versions of a stack or whatever. That that lineup plays Emil Hud at two. I mean, you can get away with it. When Hud's on, he's going to battle anybody. When he's off, you don't really want him playing at five because he could lose a match there. Uh, but I play I play him him at two, and then that that's letting you play guys like Mitsui and Hunter. I, I mean, it, it's it's just ridiculous to think that you could be playing a blade, you know, a Mitsui at five. I mean, if you if you played that stack and it was a legit, and you played Hud two, you know. Hunter three, Bicknell four, Mitsui five. I mean, you're just not going to lose. I I don't know how long you get away with it. As and and honestly, you get away with it as long as HUD can win at two. Because as soon as everybody else keeps winning and he's not, you get forced to change the lineup. But yeah, there's not there's just not a lot of weakness. Like you said, sure. I I don't feel great if Jomo goes down again. Yes, everyone's good. But sliding everyone up and then playing, you know, now you're effectively forced into Diaz and Prada playing, both playing, and they're and they're at five six, and they better and Prada better be healthy, or Harper better be healthy. It does make them a little thin. Uh, but look, Jomo's been playing all summer. He's obviously not hurt now, uh, so it's it's not like. Yeah, he hasn't played a lot since we saw him last year. I don't really. There are some guys that I have that concern about because they are in. You know, they may have been injury prone or had an injury, and we haven't seen a lot of them. We've seen a lot of Jomo over the summer and over the fall. He's you know he's not in bad form. He's not in bad shape. We, you know he's up to five fifty four in the world. I don't have any concerns about him at this point. So I'm not that. That's not really even in the back of my head for these guys. Uh, I just it's it's really tough to to find a weakness in the in the team. They're good. They're really freaking good. And again, you look at the schedule, they're going to have the opportunity to flex those muscles this year. Now, obviously, uh, the big thing, they're in the SEC as such. They're going to get to play the full SEC gauntlet. And, you know, this year, for what it's worth, in their conference matches, they they are at Florida. They are at South Carolina. They get Kentucky at home. They are at Georgia. Uh, Those are the big, I suppose, road at Auburn, actually, to start off the SEC season. That's an interesting one to circle right away. But... I mean, look, it's a really fun non-conference schedule that starts right off the bat with Charlotte, with Texas Tech. They're going to travel to Ann Arbor to take on Michigan January 19th. Mom, dad, if mom's not here in Florida yet, but dad, I'm going to be home January, mid-January, just just so you know, uh, for whatever it's worth, because Michigan plays a couple good matches that weekend. Um, they've got Wake Forest. They're traveling to Winston-Salem after Wake obviously came to them last year. They've got, for the kickoff weekend, honestly, not the easiest in Oklahoma or Charlotte. Now, they should get through Louisiana pretty easy in match number one, but assuming they play Oklahoma, that's a fun matchup with a frisky Oklahoma team we talked about back in our honorable mention section I mean, you assume they're going to get a bunch of good matches at the National Indoors as well. TCU comes to town. Columbia comes to town. That's Elvis, Columbia, it, actually. Oh, they're going to Columbia? That's even fast. It's um, it's a... Uh, it's awesome. Like, it's, uh, it's, it's a fun schedule, Chris, right? This team's going to get tested. 
yeah, they're they're going to get tested. Absolutely. I mean, that's a yeah, yeah. They did a really, you know, a decent job of mixing in some of the hey, let's let everybody get some playing time. And uh, wow, these are really tough matches, like you mentioned. You know, going on the road to Michigan, going on the road to Wake Forest, all of you know, all of that, even before they even get to kickoff weekend. And then, yeah, that what I would anticipate being an Oklahoma match, assuming Oklahoma beats Charlotte, Charlotte, not a pushover, but assuming Oklahoma wins that that sets up. It's a match at home. Tennessee should win, but a, by no means an easy match. That'll be a really good match for them. But yeah, uh, then TCU Columbia, the next two matches after that before indoors. It's yeah, it's a really good schedule. It's awesome. Like this team's going to get tested. And by the way, it's very, very clear that, you know, again, they're going to they're gonna have options. They're going to know, okay, Mitsui's not working at two. This is just a hypothetical, so we're going to try HUD at two. Okay, HUD didn't quite work at two. Let's go with the lefty hunter, see what that goes. Or then they're going to be like, wait, we got this 6'4 behemoth in Blaze Bicknell. Let's try his weapons at the number two singles. They're going to have the chance to find the right permutation. I honestly... You know my favorite system, Chris. Other than the NC State system, shout out, it's the platoon system where you're just rotating the cast of characters until you figure out whatever works. And this team has the ability to do just that. Let me ask you a question that I always ask that even though I'm a part of this decision, I like still am never sure. Why are they five? Like, why are they not number one? I mean, could you argue that about all these teams at this point? Like, I, I don't really know. Why isn't this team higher? Is it because of how tough the schedule is? Because maybe they do get knocked off once or twice? Like, I don't know. Why isn't this team higher? I mean, it. all I could say is there's, we've talked about them. It's a good team. I would take this team... Uh, you know, for as as my, you know, if I'm a coach and you say, hey, we're giving you that team, you take, absolutely, I'll take them against anybody. But it's, and it's not that they're weaker anywhere. It's just that the teams that we, the teams we've got in front of them are just as good uh, and and have, you know, some other things that probably, you know, you know, teams that obviously we haven't talked about a, a Virginia yet who won the national title last year. So clearly they're one of the teams we're going to be talking about that, that just won a title. Tennessee hasn't done it. I mean, it's all the little intangibles, but, but it's, yeah, it's very tough. You, I, I think at one point in the off season, I said, if you don't have Tennessee in your top three, you're crazy. And then I went to, to fill my bracket out. And I actually put them, I mean, I'll, we have them five. I put them four on mine personally. Obviously, you know, everybody that listens knows we we average all of our rankings together to come up with our, our consolidated rankings. But I still didn't even put them there in, in mine. It's, uh, the margins are so thin and it's so close. It, it's hard to say. There's no good reason. I mean, I can't, if you, if you tell me, Oh, you're nuts, and you're just going to see at the end of the year they're going to win a title. I'm just going to say you might be right. Yeah, <laughs> I could be dead wrong, and I'm okay with that. That's very well said. I don't know how else to say it. Like, yeah, that we might be wrong. This team might be the best team in the country. They could also be the seventh best team in the country. Like, that's how good all of these teams are. That's why doubles points are going to be critical. I mean, it's going to come down to a handful of no-ad points here or there. I'm sure 
scholars that we are, Chris, we're going to look back at the season and say there were seven instances. These seven instances decided what the season was. But this team has all the pieces. Experience, top-end talent, depth, a doubles. Uh, doubles. What's it called when you have – continuity is the wrong word. A doubles – when you've like earned the benefit of the doubt, what's the word for that, Chris? I'm blanking right now. We've done a lot of podcasting here today. It's like my fourth consecutive hour of podcasting. Yeah, you got you got me with the word. They've earned the benefit before. of the doubt. The um, oh my god, God, I'm I'm so it's like such an easy word too. They pedigree, pedigree, doubles pedigree. Wow, that's uh, embarrassing. But leave it in, Super Producer Daniel Westoff. Um, yeah, I guess with all that said, then any final thoughts before we get to our predictions? Yeah, I mean, the only, the only final thought I would bring up is, you know, one of the other things, and you talk about the reason, and it's not limited to this team. It's one of the reasons that there are other teams in front of them that are in the same boat. You, I mean, you, you sort of alluded to it earlier. When you look at this roster, and because of the COVID effect, you look at what who they list as grad students, right? Pat Harper, Emil Hud, Kent Hunter, Boris Kozlov, Martin Prada, Thomas Rodriguez. Wipe them all out of the lineup and tell me how they look. Yeah, it's uh, right. I mean, that's yeah. that's the it's great that they've got them all, but that's but there are other teams that have the same thing. So it's that that is the COVID effect. We now have all these. Yes, there are. You always had some fifth years because guys redshirted or you know whatever the case may be, but not like we have now where guys have actually been able to just play five years. And that's that's what happens. We've just we've got such an abundance of guys that are able to play five years now because of the extra COVID year that it's it's these team the depth on some of these teams is just ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's gonna be really fun. So with that in mind then, let's get to the tricky part, Chris. Time to put you on the record. And I have our predictions all accumulated with the addition of TN We've made some switches, some Bassavaretti news about his wrist. We're going to say we've got three quarterfinalist spots already booked up. So we've got our semifinals, finals, champion spots still open, one quarterfinalist to go. We'll get to the NCAs in a second. Let's start with the national indoor. I think we both agree this. I mean, that Oklahoma match could get tricky, but I think this team gets through because of the depth. They've been unreal at the national indoors the last two years you could argue the genesis of this chapter of Tennessee tennis really started in Champagne when they went a shocking two and one and just like they were really freaking good that year that first COVID year that national indoors finalists last year where do you have them going this year I, we might have already predicted a national indoor finalist and in champ already to be honest but We'll just I don't try think it again. Doing necessarily indoor predictions. I mean, yeah, I, they absolutely they're gonna. I mean, they, I, they make it to indoors. I don't see them losing to Oklahoma. And yeah, I mean, I would have to think. Honestly, I think one of the favorites uh, at indoors. I would. I'm gonna say they're a semifinalist at indoors. Yeah, it's hilarious that you say that, and I'm like, only semifinals is what I'm thinking in my head. I'm like, that's kind of disappointment almost uh, for this team. I think they're going to make the finals. I think that's where the experience really shines through, is that this team's going to look really good right away because all of them have that experience. 
and you have Monday indoors, which is just a cheat code. Yeah, you know, the, the killer is we have no clue what those draws are going to be, right? They, I know. <laughs> they come out on the rankings, but I look from an indoor perspective. They're great indoors. Ohio State's great indoors. Michigan's great indoors. TCU's going to be really good indoors. Virginia's going to be good indoors. So I just have to take without having any clue what the draw is. Do I think they're the top two in that group? Man, it's tough. So I'll have to just say top four. Okay, I'll go semis. (laughs) (sighs) I'm like, so I'm so conflicted. Let's just move on. SEC, where does this team finish? I mean, I think, again, we've we've talked that the the big three coming into the season, Tennessee, Kentucky, Georgia, uh, they've got to win at least one of the two. It's really tough to sweep uh, both conference and uh, both regular season and conference in the SEC. So, I I mean, I think they've got to win one. So I'm going to say that they're going to they're going to end up splitting and as you mentioned, it's a. I mean, they've got their aunt Georgia. They do get Kentucky at home, so they're kind of you know looking at maybe a one-one and one in those three. So someone's going to step up in there, uh, and it it could be them in the regular season. I I I do think they'll get. I mean, they'll get one of them. Conference championships are at Auburn, so it doesn't necessarily favor any of those of those three. Um, Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'll, I'll, I'll say that <laughs> I love somehow, these pauses. I'll say that they don't win the regular season, but they win the conference tournament. I'm gonna take them to sweep. I think this team is just ready for big things. Like I think they're gonna play big matches really well this year. <sighs> Am I leading that up to my national championship pick, Chris? Is that what I'm gonna say here? With all this, they're gonna play the big matches well. We'll wait for a second. By the way, again, you pausing as long as you are for these predictions. It's just exceptional content. It really is. It's just like, I hope all of you listeners realize it's we are throwing darts at board right now. And like, this is why I'm monitoring what Chris and I were predicting so we don't overdo it. With that said, Chris, Tennessee, NCAA tournament, where do they finish? Yeah, the, the best part of this is, you know, you, you may or may not prep your stuff. I 100% don't. And it becomes abundantly <laughs> clear. When we get on the show, this is all off the cuff. I don't have it written down. This is no dramatic for podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at it as we go. NCAA tournament, we've already got, you said, what, three quarterfinalists in and one quarterfinal spot open and both are semis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, well, the semi and and, and finalist and, and champion left. Um, mm-hmm. I am not going to stop them at the quarters. They're at least going to the semis. Mm -hmm. I think they go to the finals, but they don't win. Mm. I will take, I will take them as my, my, my runner up finalist. (sighs) Wow. Finalist off the board for Chris Hallioris. I'm going to go with history. 2021, where did Tennessee finish, Chris? 
lost to Baylor in the semifinals. I expected you to be more prepared for that. 2022, yeah. where did Tennessee finish? Semifinal, right? So let's go 2023 semifinals. I'm going to stick with it. That means one of our top four teams is a quarterfinalist for me, which I don't feel good about, but it means the same thing for you too. So, Yeah, oh, um, yeah we already know. Yeah, I know you know who – well, actually, there's a couple that are obvious choices, so I don't know where I'm going yet. Yeah, I don't like this. I don't like this at all. Um, I'm going to go semifinals, but again, if you make Orlando, all eight teams there are going to have a position, be in position to win the freaking event. And all teams there, by the way, are probably going to go to Orlando expecting to win the event. And Tennessee is one of those teams who, with their age, with their continuity, everything we've established in these 70 minutes, this is a team that's got the goods to win a national championship. With that said, Chris Hallioris, final thoughts on number five, Tennessee. Not, I mean, just probably, I mean, well, I won't say, I'll say TCU as well, but the most well-rounded, you know, just solid top to bottom. It's hard to, you You just can't put, poke a, you can't poke a hole or a weakness in them, uh, you know, if everyone's there. So we're going to be a really fun team to watch. Very well said. Well, with all of that said, that is your look at the Tennessee Volunteers, number five in our preseason poll. But again, very, very talented and certainly capable of capturing the SEC title. With all that said, folks, four teams left to go. What does the Cracked Rackets preseason top four look like? Join us next week to find out. I'll say this, Nicholas Gruskin coming on the podcast next week. You won't want to miss it as we get into our final four teams. Of course, John Parsons joins me every Tuesday and Thursday for our breakdowns of the Division I women's top 10. Chris joining me Wednesday, Friday. Of course, be on the lookout for all of those episodes. And by the way, we're also previewing ATP WTA tours over on the Mini Break podcast feed. Former Illini national champ, world doubles number one, Rajiv Ram joined me on the Cracked Interviews podcast to talk all sorts of things, including, of course, a look at the 03 Illini, one of the five best teams in men's college tennis history. All that available due to the work of our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who, as always, has a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out, making all of this content possible. With that said, for the fantastic, lean, mean, vegan machine, Chris Hallioris, our, who, by the way, is still expecting all of you to be sending recipes his way, and you'll get to see that ugly Korean pancake as soon as this podcast episode comes out for the lean, mean, vegan machine for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Chris, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.